Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part three of his teaching, The Value of Relationships. Today we are continuing our series on the value of relationships. If you remember from last week, the topics we said we would cover were the heart of the Father, family and friends, the value of marriage, and the family of faith. So far, we've covered the heart of the Father and family and friends. Today, we're going to talk about Christian marriage and the value of marriage, something very near and dear to my heart. And obviously, it's not going to be all-encompassing because we we only have one session in this series dedicated to a very broad and potentially exhaustive topic. Amen? So I'm going to hit the high points, some of the things that I think are important, some of the things that are very sensitive issues. I want to just hit them right on. All right, so we're talking about Christian marriage, and we're going to begin by reading from Ephesians chapter 5 concerning proper attitudes of submission, love, and respect in the context of Christian marriage. Amen? So we're going to get right into the word here, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. We're going to read through verse 33. And unlike the first two sessions in the series, we're not going to read a whole lot of Scripture. There's not a volume of Scripture that we're going to read But the scriptures that we do read, we're going to kind of go verse by verse. So I'll read a verse or two, and then I'll make some commentary, and then I'll go to the next verse. So a little bit different than the other two sessions. Ephesians 5, 21 and 22 say, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. So I want to back up and look at verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, if you read the previous passages before verse 21, it talks about living a life of worship and then transitions to submission. And he talks about how brothers and sisters in Christ should learn to submit to one another in love and in the fear of God. He then gets specific in verse 22 and starts talking about proper submission in the marriage relationship. I know this is a real touchy subject, especially with wives, because some people teach it wrong and teach it such that men should dominate their wives. And that was never the intention of God. Let me just tell you at the outset, one spouse should not dominate the other in any type of marriage relationship. It just doesn't work. Amen. Besides, I've learned in 37 years of marriage, I can't tell my wife to do anything, you know, I couldn't make her do anything if I wanted to. Amen? Amen. So, if you read verse 21 and 22 together, and I'm going to do it again, submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. If you look at verse 21 and 22 together, I believe it's Paul's way of saying that even in marriage, where wives are instructed to submit to their husbands, Husbands and wives should be willing to submit to one another in the fear of God. In other words, there will be plenty of occasions where husbands will need to submit to their wives as well. I thought I'd I'd I thought I'd hear some amens on that one. Also. It's important to realize that proper submission is done in the fear of God. So there's no scenario. Let me emphasize this. There's no scenario 
even in marriage, which allows you to compel your spouse or anyone else for that matter to do something that is sinful and ungodly. Submission is clearly a voluntary thing. Submit yourselves means exactly what it sounds like it means. We submit ourselves to God and we submit ourselves to one another as a choice, not because we're forced to do so. Now, just so you know, I'm not dancing around this delicate topic. Let me say this. If we're going to be scripturally accurate, it's clear from Ephesians 5.22 that there's a greater degree of submission required on the part of the wife than of the husband. Because there will be occasions where there'll be gridlock and somebody's got to break the tie. And according to the word of God, that responsibility falls on the man. Having said that, let me tell you how I think it works, how husbands and wives should put this into practice in real life. If it's a decision that absolutely has to be made for whatever reason, which I think is rarely the case, and you're not in agreement, I believe the wife should defer to the husband's judgment and be at peace with whatever he decides. However, and this is a big however, if it's a major life decision, like a change of assignment, a major move, a major financial investment, starting a ministry, starting a church, or choosing a new church, in scenarios like this, I believe husbands and wives should wait until there is complete agreement before you move forward. There's just too much at stake. I trust my wife's ability to hear from the Holy Ghost. And if there's some big decision we have to make, and I think we should go forward and she doesn't, I believe I can wait until she hears from the Holy Ghost or until I hear that I was wrong. It just takes a little bit of humility on the part of both the husband and the wife. One more thing. It's clear from the context of verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands, not to every man. There are people out there that teach that women should be subject to all men. And I'm just telling you, that's, that's from the book of Thessalonians. You're saying that, but I'm getting a lot of laughter. More laughter than groans. All right, let's read on verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now, concerning the husband being the head of the wife, you know, I'm a former military officer. I like to use a military analogy, which I think is helpful in understanding how this works. The general and the colonel in an army are equal in the eyes of God. And they both have a measure of authority in him. Even though he's higher in rank, though, a wise general will consult the colonel who was serving under him before making any major decision that affects the whole army. So it is with family. Although the husband and wife are equal in the eyes of God, the husband is the head, the wife is slightly below him in rank, and their children are under the authority of both of them. Now, the last part of the verse makes it clear that the husband 
is charged with physically protecting his wife as the savior of the body. What does that mean? It means exactly what it says. If you're out there in the public arena and danger approaches your wife, you get in between the danger and your wife. You be willing to lay down your life for your wife. That's exactly what it means because Jesus was willing to lay his life down for us. Amen. Verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Again, Paul emphasizes that wives are to submit to their own husbands, not to all men. Can I get an amen from the women? And by the way, let me mention this. There is a popular teaching out there that says that the husband is supposed to be the high priest of the household. I know what they're trying to say, but I don't think that's exactly right. Yes, the husband is the head of the family, and as such, he should set a godly example for his wife and kids to follow. However, Galatians 3.28 makes it clear that there's neither male nor female in Christ Jesus. Therefore, listen to me, the husband and the wife have equal access to God through Jesus, our high priest, with no other mediator required. You don't have to go through your husband to get to God. You can go through Jesus because he's your mediator. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Verse 25. I'm taking Bill Johnson pauses. You ever notice when you listen to him on the podcast, it's like, is, is the... Is the tape over? Is it? Is the podcast over? You know, because he's like letting you say law what he just said. And then he goes to the next thing, you know. So I'm borrowing that technique. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, this is a really powerful verse. You'll miss it if you just do a surface reading. It's an awesome verse. Listen, Jesus loved us with such intensity that he was willing to give his life for the church to submit himself to torture and death in order to save us. So I say, husbands, do you love your wife like that? That you'd be willing to lay down your life so that she might live? So anytime a husband starts feeling haughty about being the head of the household, he should remember this axiom. With great authority comes great responsibility. Husbands must be willing to give their lives for their wives, both literally and figuratively. Verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Amen. One of the main ways, husbands, we can give our lives for our wives is to speak and pray the word of God over them continually. Husbands, sanctify or set apart your wife by the words that you speak over her. And sometimes she needs to hear you speaking those words. Honey, you're a wonderful wife. You 
You nest this house so well. I love the way you brighten up this house. I love the way that you take care of me. You know, she does. My wife takes good care of me. She's just a nurturer. She just cares about me. And I really, really deeply appreciate that. So you need to speak the word of God over your wife. You are a Proverbs 31 woman. You will reach your full potential in Christ. Amen. Things like that. And as I said, make sure there are times when she hears you say those things about her. Even if she says, oh, don't say that. Okay, you know. Say it anyway. Praise your wife. Speak words of affirmation. Speak words of exhortation. Speak the word over her. Sanctify her. Set her apart by the washing of the water of the word of God. Amen. Verse 27. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Husbands, start declaring that your wife is becoming the glorious woman of God that she was created to be. Make up your mind you're going to do everything in your power to see to it that she reaches her fullest potential in Christ. Both as an individual and as your wife. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Amen. Verse 28 and 30 say that men ought to love their wives like their own body. Very much like Jesus is the head and loves all believers because they're part of his body. So husbands, you should care for her body as much as you care for your own because she's part of you. She's part of you. Verse 31, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 31 is actually a prophecy that was spoken by Adam in Genesis 2.24. Most people attribute this phrase to God or Jesus, but it was Adam who spoke this prophecy. And he was quoted by Jesus in Matthew and Mark's gospel. And now here he's quoted by Paul. When Adam first laid eyes on Eve, who was literally built from a part of his body, he prophesied that the marriage relationship would cause a man to leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife before there was such a thing as a mother and father. Do you ever think about that? For this cause shall a man leave his mother and father before there was a mother and father. He was prophesying about something he didn't know about in the natural. I think that's awesome. I think that's cool. That's amazing to me. So once again, if the husband and wife are, are one flesh, then the wife's body is also his body, and his body is hers. Lately, I've begun to extend that concept into speaking and praying health over my wife's body from the perspective that it's also my body. I've been saying things like, Lord, Jesus himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes, we are healed. 
My wife and I are one. We are healed. Our body is healed by the stripes of Jesus. I recommend, husbands, that you do that when praying for your wife. She's part of you. Pray for her from that perspective. All right, verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So what's this verse saying? It's saying that the unity that results when a man and a woman are joined together in marriage is a model of the mystical union of Christ in the church. It's the closest equivalent we have on planet Earth to the unity that's possible when we as the church are connected to one another and to the Father and to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. It's a model of Christ and the church. Verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Here again, if we're not careful, we can miss the impact of this verse by just a surface reading. Women have an emotional need to feel loved and they derive security in knowing that they are loved completely by their husbands. That's security. Security is the one thing that women desire above all else. And it's rooted in your love for her. Men also want love. But more than anything else, they crave respect. They want to be respected by their peers. And even more so, they want to be respected by their, their spouse. Of course, women should love their husbands. I've heard people quote this verse and the wife says, well, all I have to do is respect him, but he's got to love me. Well, listen to me. It's clear from the model that if the church loves Christ, then wives should love their husbands in the same manner. Okay, so you don't have an out. You know, husbands love your wives. Wives love and respect your husband. Amen. Because love without respect is not something that men tolerate very easily. If a man comes home from work where he's he's been respected by his peers all day long. And then gets berated by his wife because of his failings at home. It's a difficult thing for him to process. Conversely, if a man constantly berates his wife for her failings, she's not going to feel loved and she's not going to feel secure in that relationship. Just like the husband should be praying over and speaking the word of God over his wife continually, the wife should do the same thing over her husband. Declaring that he's a mighty man of God. Some of the time where he can hear it, regardless of how much faith may be involved in that statement at any particular time. Sometimes you got to call those things that be not as though they were. Everybody know what I'm talking about. One more thing before we move on from this last verse. Husbands, listen to me. Don't ever ridicule, humiliate, or denigrate your wife especially not in front of others. If you do, you'll dash her image of you as the man that loves her completely and protects her at all times. Wives, don't ever harangue your husband or magnify his faults in front of his peers or in front of others in a public setting. If you do, you'll humiliate him and rob him of the respect 
that he so desperately craves. Amen? Okay? Now, I know we touched on some sensitive areas, but I really felt like I needed to go there. And this was not intended as an exhaustive discussion of marriage, but I did want to touch on some of the basics that are widely misunderstood, like submission, and the needs of a man and the needs of a woman in the marriage relationship. Amen? Now we're going to press on to something that's going to be fun. Jesus and the puppy. What does that have to do with marriage, Brother Scott? Well, hang on. I'm going to wrap this session up by talking about the value of marriage. And I know I could talk about a lot of things that give value to marriage. But there are two things I want to emphasize this morning, and I'll get to them here in just a minute. I want to begin by sharing an encounter I had with the Lord Jesus at our home in Shreveport, Louisiana. May 13th, 2014, at about 6 a.m., in the northeast bedroom of 9307 Belden Drive. If you've ever heard Brother Hagen talk about his visions, I'm borrowing from that. It was during this time that God began to deal with us about returning here to our home state of North Carolina, returning to our spiritual roots and pastoring here in Wilmington. I was lying awake in the bed that morning when suddenly Jesus walked through the door. He opened the door. And I remember the first thing I said was, why didn't why didn't he just walk through the door? Well, I believe he has the option to do either. But he opened the door and he walked into the bedroom. And I noticed uh, that he was dressed in a, a white tunic with an overlaid tan shawl. And it was really cool looking. He had about shoulder length hair. I don't remember exactly what color eyes he had. If I had to guess, I'd say blue or hazel. And he was about five foot ten tall. And something very unusual. He had an English bulldog puppy in his arms. And he walked to the foot of the bed. And I mean, I'm looking at that puppy. It was white with brown spots. The cutest little bulldog puppy you could imagine. And he put the puppy between my feet and the feet of my wife. And he just sort of snuggled between us as Jesus began to talk to me. He said to me, uh, and he had, I won't say it was a stern look on his face, but it was a concerned look. And uh, he said that, he said, you're entering a new season in your marriage. And this season is going to bring forces to bear against you that will try to drive a wedge between you and your wife. As you go through this season, remember, your marriage is the most valuable thing you have on planet Earth. So fight for it, contend for it, care for it, for it is extremely valuable and worth fighting for. I came out of the vision and looked immediately at the foot of the bed because I wanted to see if the puppy remained. You know, alas, the puppy was gone. So I remember as I meditated on this vision over the next week or two, I just said, Lord, I just got a couple of questions the first question that came to my mind was, is there a place in the Bible where Jesus used props in a vision? And if so, if it's scriptural for Jesus to use props in a vision, why a bulldog and why a puppy? That's sort of the sequence of my thinking. Well, it wasn't too long before 
Jesus revealed to me in the scripture that Jesus uses props in visions. And he led me to Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. Now, if you remember, this was the chapter in, in Revelation where Jesus gives the seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor. So the Lord took me to this scripture here, Revelation 1.20. Here's the New King James Version. And Jesus said to the Apostle John, The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So if you read the whole passage, Jesus is standing in front of seven golden lampstands, and he's got seven stars in his hand. So Jesus begins by explaining the symbology that the Apostle John is seeing. And I've had that happen from time to time in some spiritual dreams that I've had where the Lord actually narrated and he told me what the symbols meant. So I felt comfortable since it was scriptural and it happened to someone else, at least one other person where Jesus used props in a vision. I went down my order of priorities. Okay, then, Lord, why a bulldog puppy? Well, number one. Puppies require constant care and affection. So does your marriage. Number two, bulldogs are known for their tenacity. So fight for your marriage with the tenacity of a bulldog. So that leads me to what I want to wrap this session up with. Why is your marriage worth fighting for? Why was Jesus so adamant that I fight for my marriage? I tell you, the look on his face, it was almost as if he was saying that our marriage was more important than my relationship with him. Now, I know he did not mean that, but there was a gravity and a seriousness about how I should approach my marriage and how valuable it was and how I should fight for it. We've got a marriage here, and I don't want to make you cry. That a couple of years ago, my youngest daughter and my son-in-law, Thomas, their marriage was on the rocks. And it looked like they were headed for divorce. And my wife and I committed for an entire year to pray and intercede that that not happen. That God saved their marriage. And I know Russ and Frankie, they, they prayed for months and months and months. And others in the congregation knew what was going on. And they prayed for my, my daughter, Stephanie, my son-in-law, Thomas. And God turned the whole situation around. Now, it took a while, but it was worth fighting for. Isn't that right? Amen. We believe in strong marriages in this church, and we're going to fight for them. Amen. Hallelujah. So why is your marriage worth fighting for? Well, number one, we've already talked about. Marriage is a picture of the mystical union of Christ in the church. Ephesians 5 31 and 32, we'll read it again. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Think about this for a while. If the marriage between a man and a woman is a picture or a model of Christ in the church, what is the marriage between a man and a man a picture of? What is the picture of a woman and a woman a picture of? Now, listen, 
I love homosexuals. God loves them. And he wants them saved and set free. But marriage, traditional marriage, as I'm sure you're aware, is under severe attack in America. It's because of the model and the picture that it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be Christ and the church. That's why the forces of the enemy are fighting so hard against traditional marriage. The devil is desperately trying to change the picture of what marriage should mean. All right, enough on that. If you're married and you're believers, your marriage is intended to be a statement to the world of what God is like. It's meant to be a picture that the world can see of the unity and the intimacy between Christ and the church. The love, the mercy, the power, and the glory of that relationship should be on display in a godly marriage for all the world to see. Amen? So number two. The number two reason I believe that you should fight for your marriage is there is power in agreement, especially between a man and his wife. Matthew 18, verse 18 and 19. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you shall loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them of my Father in heaven. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. I'm so used to the King James Version. Now listen, if there's that kind of power between two believers available when they come together and pray, husbands and wives who are one spirit, soul, and body should take advantage of of the power that's available in the prayer of agreement, especially because it's so readily available because husbands and wives spend a lot of time together. Anytime a crisis or some kind of need comes up, you should grab your wife's hand, say, let's pray and let's agree because we are one spirit, soul, and body, and we're going to pray, and there's power in that prayer of agreement. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, coming together in physical unity as man and wife births things in the in the natural children and offspring in a perpetual manner from generation to generation. Isn't that right? But listen to me, coming together in spiritual unity as man and wife births things in the spirit, visions, dreams, great exploits and accomplishments for the kingdom of God in a perpetual manner from generation to to generation. And by the way, don't feel left out if you're not married because you can birth things in the spirit as well. The power of agreement is available to you whether you're married or not. Amen. Find a friend or even a married couple and have them agree with you by faith to birth mighty things in your life and ministry. My intent was not to exclude single people when it comes to the power of agreement but rather to exhort married couples not to neglect such a powerful tool that is so readily available to them. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part three of Dr. Forrest's message, The Value of Relationships. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us. 
on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship, and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. <music>